Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703-971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As older adults age, they are susceptible to developing respiratory diseases that may be more complicated and even life-threatening. Effective care and prevention can improve well-being and quality of life of older adults suffering from respiratory diseases. Additionally, in Arlington, Virginia, a broad array of programs and services for caregivers and their families are also available for this purpose. Today, I have two guests. The first is Dr. Albert Rizzo, Chief Medical Officer with the American Lung Association. My second guest is Galera Baseri, Outreach Specialist with Arlington County Area Agency on Aging. In the first half of the program, Dr. Rizzo will talk about respiratory diseases and how older adults and their caregivers can help prevent these conditions. In the second half, Galera will discuss how family caregivers help older adults with respiratory diseases and how to access Arlington County resources. So we'll begin with Dr. Rizzo. So welcome, Dr. Rizzo, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Okay, well, let's get started and give us an overview about lung health. How does growing older impact lung health? Well, let's first start out with what we know about the lungs development and when we reach what we're calling peak lung function, and that's usually in our mid-20s. And we know that from that point on, there is a slow decline, a natural decline in our lung function, which varies from person to person. Sometimes the decline is more rapid, and that's where we start wondering about what can we do to prevent that rapidity, and what are some of the agents of change that occur. We know that as the lung ages from that mid-20s on, our air sacs start to get a little more inflated, and that actually is what the term emphysema means. We also get a little bit of weakness in some of the breathing muscles, our rib muscles, our diaphragm. So those tend to be less effective in getting the air in and out of our lungs. And the things that help promote that aging process, unfortunately, besides genetics, which play a big role, are the behaviors that we take part in. And this can include, obviously, smoking. It can include where we live, where we work, with regard to some exposures that irritate the airways. And it also can do to be due to repeated infections that we get over the years. So when we talk about how can we make ourselves keep our lung health longer, it goes to that part about the genetics we can't control, but we can control the behaviors, the exposures we have, try to minimize infections with the up-to-date immunizations that include influenza, pneumococcal pneumonia, and pertussis. And I think that's a good way to start. And then there's also, also the fact that 
the typical things of regular activity, proper sleep, proper nutrition, keeping your weight under control, all of that helps the lungs because the lungs really are a, a pump inside of our chest. And that uh, pump has to be maintained in a very effective manner in order to let the lungs expand and uh, deflate as needed. And actually, Dr. Rizzo, one of the things that occurred to me as I was listening to you is maybe when we talk about the respiratory system, are we primarily talking about the lungs or are we talking also about where we breathe and the, the trachea and the other parts just to, so that we kind of have an understanding of when we talk about respiratory system, what we're talking about? Sure. The upper airway would include everything from our nasal passages all the way down to the trachea, the top of the trachea or vocal cord area, roughly. And then the uh, bronchial tubes uh, extend out into the both lungs. Uh, they actually branch about 23 times, and those airways get smaller and smaller until they reach the very small sacs of the lung called the alveoli. Uh, and also, I guess, an answer to your question, the lungs are very important for the breathing, but we have to remember that the air is going in and out, but also there's blood flowing through these lungs to get that gas exchange, getting the oxygen out of the air that we breathe in and releasing the carbon dioxide back into the lungs so it can be expelled. And that blood flow is very dependent on the heart working in a coordinated fashion with the lung. So when we start thinking about aging and changing our breathing, we have to realize it's not just the lungs, it's also our heart and our blood vessels that play a role as well. And you mentioned already about smoking as it... Uh affects or causes chronic respiratory disease. Is that primarily the main risk factor for chronic respiratory diseases? Is there anything else that that our listeners should be aware of uh, that's going on, climate change, COVID? What would you tell us? Absolutely. Well, first of all, tobacco and smoking is really the number one preventable cause of death and disease. So we need to realize that. And the lungs, unfortunately, take the brunt of that, but it also can lead to cardiac disease. It can worsen uh, vascular disease. Um, so I think smoking is certainly something we need to try to avoid. But we also need to realize that any irritant that we inhale, and it can be including uh, air quality, ozone, for example, particle matter that's part of smog, areas that have bad air quality have a higher incidence of people who have chronic lung disease having flare-ups. Their asthma flares up, their COPD flares up. Uh, there's even been shown times when bad air quality can lead to an increased risk of heart attacks during that period of time of bad air quality. So air quality plays a role, no question about it. And then I mentioned earlier that occupations can play a role. Certainly people who work in um, mines, for example, or asbestos industry, coal workers, uh, inhaling that type of particle matter irritates the airways and can lead to chronic inflammation and scarring of the lung. Uh, other areas uh, could be allergic-related. Uh, people can have allergic reactions to things they work around, leading to some similar symptoms to asthma, as far as wheezing and coughing, things of that nature. And in addition to all of these factors, does race or ethnicity or gender, does that have any kind of influence on the occurrence of respiratory diseases and lung health? You know, the most that we can say about that has to do with, you know, the women tend to have smaller lungs than men. Uh, and that probably plays some role in some diseases developing more in women than men. But really across the board, um, there's not a lot that we can point to that has to do with uh, race or ethnicity. Now, genetics certainly plays a role. But the biggest differences we see if you look at things like race or uh, ethnicity, it really boils down to the social determinants of health. And that has to do with the fact that some ethnicities and some races don't have the same opportunity of access to care, access to physicians, 
uh, the ability to live in areas that have better air quality, the ability to have jobs that don't require exposure to uh, irritating chemicals. So really the difference goes to uh, an ability of an individual to have the wherewithal to get proper care and avoid the obvious uh, things we've talked about as far as irritants. And so let's talk about some of the most common respiratory diseases in older adults. I thought you said COPD a little bit earlier, but let's talk about that again and what you see as what older adults usually present with. Sure. Well, the two big lung diseases, big categories would be asthma and COPD. And those are both considered what we call obstructive lung diseases, because in those situations, the airways become inflamed, they become narrowed, and they become twitchy. They tend to constrict when exposed to irritants such as bad air quality or infections. Uh, COPD is a big term for what underneath that could include chronic bronchitis, emphysema. Uh, and again, those are inflammatory processes that make the airways thinner and constricted, as well as causing more of those air sacs to inflate into the emphysematous uh, size that we saw, saw, talked about earlier because that's when gas exchange doesn't occur well. So asthma, COPD are the big ones, but then we also have to realize that very common infections, pneumonia, influenza, and now unfortunately the last couple of years, COVID-19. Respiratory pathogens are playing a big role in a lot of disease on a regular basis from a respiratory standpoint. Flu seasons prior to this last one with COVID have been very prominent every year. So it's very important for organizations such as the Lung Association to try to make people understand the importance of proper immunization, you know, yearly influenza shots, keeping your pneumococcal vaccines up to date. Um, and that those are important. And pertussis is another one that's kind of left behind. That's another respiratory infection that people get uh, their vaccine early on with tetanus, but then that wears off and they don't realize they should be getting this about every 10 years. And as these might develop in older adults, what are the common signs and symptoms that older adults need to be aware of? And when should they go see a physician? Sure, great question, because I think many people, as they get older, will start to feel like they just can't do things as well. They may find they're getting shorter breath walking up a flight of stairs at home, or they just can't carry the groceries as well. And very, very often, they're going to attribute that to the fact that, well, I am just a little bit older, or maybe I'm carrying a little more weight, or maybe I don't exercise as much as I should, so I'm a little deconditioned. But what we find out is people wait so long to talk to their physicians about a change in their breathing. By the time they do present and get tested, many times their lung function is half of what it should be normally. So I guess the best message to your listeners is to have good dialogue with your treating physician, nurse practitioner, whoever your primary provider is. And don't just write everything off to the fact that you're a little older, a little heavier, and not as active. There may be things that can be done. Identifying a disease such as asthma or COPD and getting on the right medication that can help improve symptoms can help keep them more active longer and also can give them the tools to avoid the irritants that I mentioned earlier. Be more careful about the air quality when you go out to do work. Do it earlier in the day rather than when the ozone is very high in the afternoon during the summer. So those are a great question and I think people have to realize they need to talk to their doctors with better communication about these symptoms. And, and tell us a little bit about those symptoms. What, what would uh, be the trigger that would say, eh, it's time to go see my physician? Well, certainly the shortness of breath that I just mentioned. And then in addition, often when patients come in to see me, I'll ask them, are you having any other associated symptoms? Sometimes it's a cough. Chronic cough is something that probably is one of the 
first or second most common reasons people go to see a doctor on a regular basis every year. Chronic cough can be due to lung diseases such as asthma or COPD, but unfortunately it can be due to reflux problems. It can be due to sinus issues. Uh, it can be due to medications that they're on. So a chronic cough should be something you talk to your doctor about, even if you don't have the shortness of breath. But along with the shortness of breath, it can be a sign of those irritating airways that are being affected. And then certainly I ask the patient, is the cough productive of mucus? Uh, sometimes it's a dry cough, but if there is mucus being produced, the important thing is, is this mucus that's clear and white, or is it discolored that might indicate that there's an infection brewing? Uh, that would be important to uh, relay to your physician. And then there's also the possibility, along with your cough and your mucus, do you hear any noises in your chest? Wheezing can be a sign that the airways are narrower and constricted, and that can certainly be seen in a condition like asthma, COPD, even during early signs of pneumonia, wheezing may be present. And then more frightening symptoms can include things such as coughing up mucus that has blood in it. Uh, that certainly should be a trigger to see your doctor. Now, having said that, the most common reason for blood in your sputum tends to be a typical bronchitis, but most people don't get blood when they cough up uh, with a bronchitis. So it is a trigger to see a physician. And then unexplained chronic chest pain or pain when you're exerting yourself, that also should be a sign to check with your doctor. It may be your lungs, it may be asthma or COPD, but it also could be a cardiac issue that needs to be better addressed. And so if a person sees their physician, the primary care physician, explain to us what would be the most common treatments that would be prescribed for respiratory diseases, and, and, and how does the physician determine that? Well, besides taking the history of the things we just mentioned, you know, as far as shortness of breath, cough, wheezing, sputum, they're going to listen to your lungs. Listening to the lungs will help them determine if there is some wheezing that the patient wasn't aware of that may indicate the airways are narrower. They may also hear what's called crackling or rails or signs of scarring or signs of congestion in the lung that might be a sign of an early pneumonia. It also could be a sign of uh, chronic inflammation or in, uh, what we call interstitial lung disease or fibrosis, which can occur with aging. So they, after listening to the patient and then looking at the history, they may decide that some simple tests need to be done. Chest x-ray may be the most common thing they'll be ordered. Hopefully, if they think that the breathing is related to a chronic lung disease, they will ask for something called a spirometry, which is a breathing test that will look at whether or not the lungs are inflating to the size they need to be and whether flow through the airways is at the level that it needs to be. So chest x-ray, breathing tests, or what's sometimes called pulmonary function tests will be done. And very often, most patients, when they see their doctor, will get the typical vital signs done, the weight, the temperature, heart rate, blood pressure. And then they'll also have what's called a pulse oximetry reading, which is a little fingertip device will tell them, the doctor whether or not the oxygen level is really up in the mid-90s, which is where it should be, uh, even as we get older, saturation of oxygen in the blood should stay up in the 90% range. If that's lower than it should be, that may trigger the physician to uh, dig a little deeper and be more investigative about the symptoms. And then I'm assuming that depending on what these symptoms are and what's disclosed in these diagnostic uh, procedures, that would determine what what treatment would be given, and is it is it usually medication, or what, what, what do you uh, what do you usually prescribe as a physician? Well, the first thing is non-pharmacologically, they would recommend stopping smoking if they're still smoking. They will also then, based on the test, may recommend something called a bronchodilator. If they feel the airway is narrowing and it's in the asthma, COPD category, or chronic bronchitis, they may recommend either a bronchodilator that's used as a rescue inhaler, meaning They'll give the patient the medication and say, just use this as needed for your shortness of breath or wheezing. 
Maybe use it once or twice a day for a couple days and see if it helps. If they feel there is really full-blown asthma or COPD, they may recommend that a maintenance bronchodilator be given. And these uh, are usually given once or twice a day, and they're designed to keep the airways open from that inflammation that's been occurring. And by opening up the airways, it allows the uh, freer flow of air in and out and may relieve some of the, the dyspnea, the shortness of breath that was occurring. It may relieve some of the cough and certainly could improve some of the wheezing. So if you ask me what medication most lung doctors would give for a lung condition like that, it's going to probably be a bronchodilator. Sometimes that bronchodilator will be uh, added to with an inhaled steroid. Those steroids have anti-inflammatory uh, properties in them that help control the inflammation while the bronchodilator opens up the airways. Asthma and COPD often are treated with a combination of a dilator as well as an inhaled steroid to help control flare-ups. Well, okay. And and I'm thinking I want to reemphasize what you've been saying several times already, Dr. Rizzo, about uh, stopping smoking, which certainly is a, a problem and a risk factor for respiratory diseases. Uh, are there other lifestyle changes that you recommend to prevent respiratory diseases in older adults? And since this month is National Family Caregivers Month, are you seeing or do you strongly advise that family caregivers uh, participate in helping older adults prevent respiratory diseases? Yeah, no question. I think every patient should have a uh, caregiver or an advocate that can sometimes go with them to the doctor to make sure they're hearing what the doctor wants them to hear. Because sometimes patients uh, hear something they don't like and they start turning off the rest of the information. So I think it's important for caregivers to understand what the condition is that's being treated, why the medications are being given, and importantly, what are potential side effects of some of the medications uh, when the patient starts using them. So I think it's important for every individual to uh, understand why a medication is being given and looking for the potential side effects. Um, yeah, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think you know proper sleep, proper weight management, um, uh, proper um, nutrition, keeping your immunizations up to date, all of those things uh, become very important, and activity. We, we learn more and more now that activity, even in something as simple as walking regularly, 15, 20 minutes, three or four times a week, can be very helpful in not only improving your conditioning, which improves the way you feel when you walk or climb steps, you feel less short of breath, it can improve your mood. We also think that there's an improvement in the immune system when people regularly uh, exercise. So proper sleep, proper exercise, weight control, avoiding the behavioral issues of smoke, uh, poor air quality, things of that nature are helpful. And one thing we didn't mention too much of, because we don't always think of this as something you can control, but lung cancer is certainly something that's the number one cancer killer of both men and women, does occur a little more often in older individuals, but young people, unfortunately, also can get it. And it doesn't only occur in smokers. Smokers tend to be the ones most notably uh, labeled with having lung cancer because they smoke. But smoking uh, is not the only reason for people to get lung cancer. And something simple that people can do uh, is to check the radon in their homes. Radon is really way up there as far as uh, number one, two, or three as far as a cause of lung cancer. And radon uh, check in your homes can sometimes be very easily done and also can be very easily mitigated if the home does have a higher level of radon. Uh, so I think those are things that uh, individuals can do, not only protect themselves from the chronic diseases we mentioned, such as COPD, asthma, pulmonary fibrosis, things of that nature, but also cut down their risks uh, from developing lung cancer. 
Well, and thank you for mentioning that, Dr. Rizzo. Actually, next week on uh, Aging Matters, we will be talking more about lung cancer. So that was a nice preview um, and urging folks to uh, listen next week as well as this week. So I wanted to spend the last uh, part of the first half of this program talking about the American Lung Association and both the programs and services that uh, the American Lung Association provides to older adults with lung diseases and also their caregivers, and if there are other community support programs that you're aware of. Sure. Well, I mean, from the Lung Association standpoint, our mission really is divided in three arms. We advocate uh, for access to care, proper laws that help uh, our clean air, uh, and we also educate. We want to educate not only our uh, patients, their caregivers, uh, but also their physicians. And then we do spend a lot of uh, our resources on research, looking for gaps in knowledge, helping find cures. Uh, but as far as the patients, we have a website that has a lot of information with regard to what you need to do when you're going to see your physician, what are some of the symptoms you might have, what they might mean, and, and what might your doctor ask you about. So how to prepare for those visits. And the way we do that is not only through our website, uh, and blogs, but we also have what's called a Better Breathers Club, which have been in-person groups that have been around for a few years, over 500 across the country. Now, many of them, because of COVID, uh, had to become virtual, like a lot of things did. And that's also led us to develop what's called a Better Breathers Network, where patients can go online and act, act like a support group and listen to uh, different topics around lung disease, uh, the use of oxygen, the use of medications. Uh, those are all accessible. We also do things on a regular basis with regard to uh, awareness of flu, for example, especially this time of year. We have uh, signature reports that talk about the state of the air each year that's released, the state of tobacco control, looking at how your state manages tobacco issues such as excise taxes and clean indoor air laws. Uh, we also have a uh, smoking cessation program called Freedom from Smoking that can be done online as well as in person. Uh, we also utilize a lot of our what we call heroes or patients to have online stories about how they dealt with their conditions. The patient story can sometimes be much more powerful than a physician's education because patients tend to listen to patients more than doctors sometimes. So we have some compelling uh, stories on our website as well as uh, support groups in 11 different topics that, uh, from lung cancer to COPD to long COVID. Uh, all those uh, are in on the Inspire Network on our Lung Association website. There's a communities for people to chat about their condition. And also, we present uh, educational sessions on those at time, from time to time. And we do have a lung helpline um, that is very informational for patients to call, 1-800-LUNG-USA. Uh, and they can get a lot of information about their lung disease, medications, as well as help around tobacco cessation. And I know American Lung Association is, of course, a national association. Does the association have chapters then in all the states, or how does that work? Yes, we have about uh, 500 staff across the country. We mainly have offices in the larger metro areas, but we have staff that cover each state. Uh, we don't necessarily have somebody who advocates in each state with regard to the state legislators around um, smoking laws, but we have somebody that can go into that state when those issues are being brought up. And, and that's also why we've developed more and more of a virtual presence, because we just don't have staff to have a chapter or an office in every state across the, in every metropolitan area across the country. Although I think we're in about, in the top 50, we're probably in, in at least 40 of the top uh, metro areas across the country. 
But the 1-800-LUNG-USA, we can certainly connect with you wherever you are to get information to you and then help you decide where um, a good place to go might be in that area. And I was wondering, too, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the community support programs. Does the American Lung Association partner with other groups in a community? Absolutely. We, we try to collaborate as much as possible because we know that leverages all of our resources. If we can uh, work with a local uh, YMCA, work with the local black churches to educate about vaccinations, for example. Uh, and we also fund uh, community groups who are doing things around smoking cessation or things around caregiver education. Uh, so we try to work with our community. Uh, we've been known for many years as a grassroots organization. We try to continue that. As I said, we have about 500 staff across the country. That's certainly not enough to be in every town. But we try to give resources to groups on the tent and the local area where it's a health care group, a health system that's putting together a, a, a webinar, things of that nature. We try to be helpful and collaborate not only at the local level, but we collaborate with some of the other large uh, national organizations as well when it comes to important issues such as around COVID or funding for research in lung disease. Okay, well, one last question, Dr. Rizzo. Give that telephone number again and also that website that you uh, of the American Lung Association. So the website is fairly simple, lung.org, and the helpline is 1-800-LUNG-USA. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Albert Rizzo, the Chief Medical Officer with the American Lung Association. You've given a lot of really important information about respiratory diseases amongst older adults, and we greatly appreciate your being on the show today. And for those of you who just tuned in, I also want to tell you that we're going to take a short break right now, and you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Welcome back. We had a good discussion with Dr. Albert Rizzo, the Chief Medical Officer with the American Lung Association, and now we are pleased to talk with Galeria Besseri, the Outreach Specialist with Arlington County Area Agency on Aging. So welcome, Galeria, and thanks for being with me today. Thank you for your invitation and allowing me to represent our Area Agency on Aging in Arlington County. Okay, well, before we actually get into some of the many fine services that the Agency on Aging has, Galera, give us a little overview. You're involved in working with uh, caregivers and their families. What do you see as the definition of a family caregiver, and what, what are some of the duties and responsibilities that of the people that you work with? Uh, tell us a little bit more about the kind of uh, folks in Arlington and beyond, probably, that you um, see and, and provide services for every day? Sure. Thank you for that question, because um, I think if you have ever helped a family member or a friend with buying groceries or 
helping them to get to their doctor's appointment occasionally. You're becoming a caregiver without even realizing it. Um, the care provided, of course, varies from family to family. But caregivers are also advocates for their loved ones who can't advocate for themselves. They provide emotional support for their loved ones. They organize doctor's appointment. They manage the finances. In addition to all the daily household tasks, with our aging population, with the economic disparities, and with the long-term care needs for our elderly, the demand on caregivers uh, is more and more every day. Um, and these are definitely the challenges that we cannot ignore. Uh, caregivers all over the world, actually, they're risking their own physical, mental, and financial health to care for their loved ones. The caregiving was once um, considered a private family matter, but unpaid caregivers have become the unrecognized backbone of the health and our health system and our social system. I don't think it would be an exaggeration that without the informal caregivers, our health and social system would definitely crash, but yet their invaluable services goes unrecognized year after year. It's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I was looking at some statistics um, that uh, AARP uh, released and uh, it says 43.5 million caregivers provide unpaid care to an adult or child um, in the last 12 months. And 82% um, of these caregivers are caring for an elderly while caring for their child. So the value of this service is $470 billion, which uh, when you want to compare our total Medicaid spending on long-term care is 154 billion a year. So it is interesting to see all these numbers and it brings the story home. Well, and thank you for those statistics. I mean, that you are exactly right that that really reinforces uh, how reliant we are in our society on caregivers and how much uh, care is provided without necessarily reimbursement. And to that point, and, and what you've described in terms of the variation on duties and responsibilities, what do you see as the needs of a caregiver? We often talk about the needs of the patient, and that's certainly important, but what do you see as the needs of, of a caregiver? Uh, well, you know, as um, we go on a airplane ride as we fly around the country, they tell us that um, in case of emergency, you need to put your own oxygen mask first in order to be able to help someone else. And we often overlook um, the impact of caregivings on our body and our on mental health, because as I said, it creeps on so gradually that you don't realize you have become a full-time caregiver at some point. So balancing caregiving, work, and other family obligation is very demanding. This stress can definitely negatively affect our health, 
our ability to provide care for our loved ones. And we would not be able to help anyone if we don't care for ourselves. Um, caregivers need, of course, it's different from family to family, depending on the social support, depending on the economic situation, and many other factors. But one common problem for all caregivers is the shortage of time and scheduling regular time for what is important to care for the self. Uh, we always think we have time later <laughs> to care for ourselves and the need of our loved ones and someone we provide care for is always the priority. So caregivers need to allow time to recognize their emotions, how we came to the, this role of being a caregiver can influence how we feel about our experience. Sometimes we've always been close to our loved ones and see this as a chance to give back. Other times you might have been just pushed to this responsibility and it brings out a lot of feelings of resentment and anger, especially when you're stretched with your work, with your children and all the other uh, uh, problems that is around. So however you arrive to this role of being a caregiver, it's very helpful to recognize your feeling and the emotions. It's extremely important, to my opinion, for caregivers to create a support network around them. It is comfort in knowing others who are experiencing the same challenge as you. Um, it may also give you new ideas and strategies to lighten your the, the caregiver's load. Caregivers often feel guilty. They need not to feel guilty about taking time in understanding complex issues. And the loved ones that we care for will benefit from this wider circle of care that we provide for ourselves. Uh, find services and support groups around. Um, do call, if you're in Arlington, do call the Area Agency on Aging. Uh, we are mainly the window to all the resources that you're searching for. And um, I would like to share our main number here, which is 703-228-1800. Um, and we also have our community and senior centers that are a great resource for our caregivers. Great. That was just exactly how I wanted to segue into uh, Arlington County uh, resources. And, and thank you, Galeri, for, for doing that. And you already answered my question about access. And are there certain qualifications that people need to apply? Do they have to be a resident? Uh, what, what would you tell us in terms of how to uh, use these resources that you're going to talk about? Uh, of course, you have to be a resident in Arlington County if you need to use these resources. And um, you need to have your needs is based on either your financial situation or your disability or the amount of care that you need. So the best thing to do is really to call us um, 
and have us assess the situation because we never know um, uh, the amount of help that you would need, the amount of support we can provide. So the best thing is to call, to make an appointment and uh, let us help because there's a lot of resources available that probably many people do not realize and they don't know about. Well, and that's a good segue into some of when I was preparing the questions for you, I found these uh, specifically under uh, caregivers and their families. So let's let's look at some of them. The county's uh, financial assistance and housing program. Are, describe that. Are there eligibility requirements? Uh, what would you tell us? Well, for the housing, we have uh, all of our services in Arlington County are individualized based on the client need and or physical and their mental ability. And we assess each client to deem eligibility and to connect with the appropriate resources. Um, client and caregivers can contact our main numbers uh, or reach us via email with arlaaa at arlingtonva.us. We have multiple senior community housings, and depending on the client's income, some are subsidized by the state and the county, some are reduced rate based on the income. They're usually weightless for most of these residential communities, um, and we encourage our caregivers to be proactive and think ahead in order to secure safe space for their loved ones. And speaking of housing, I noticed there was also something called a home and safety program. Tell us about that. Yes, that's very important because um, as we age, safety becomes more and more crucial part of our aging at home. Um, With aging comes a variety of issues that can affect our safety. Uh, Sometimes we have decreased vision, hearing loss, loss of ability to smell, mobility, and in some cases, declining memory. So these changes often happen so gradually that we don't realize their significant effect on our safety. In Arlington County, we have our first responders. Um, they're, I must say, they're all trained as dementia friends, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, you may call the fire department for safety check. Um, their number is 703-228-4644. There is uh, Operation Fire Safe Program. That is a program through our fire department that checks and installs fire smoke alarms to Arlington resident. This is one of the easiest way to put your mind at ease. Um, and their number is the same, 703-228-4644. Another great program here in Arlington is Rebuilding Together. It helps um, with repairs, renovations, installing accessibility features such as ramps or wider doorways for 
income eligible homeowners. Rebuilding Together uh, conducts a home safety check and emphasizes on fall safety, fire safety, and simply energy efficiency upgrades. Um, I have an email address for them, uh, and that's the best way to contact them. It's info at rebuildingtogether.org. Uh, it was interesting because we had a client who wanted to stay at her home, but she could not claim climb her bathtub any longer. Um, and they received help from Rebuilding Together. They helped her create a small door in her tub so that she could easily step in and out of her tub. They installed grab bars for her. She expressed feeling safe taking a shower alone since she could not afford to remodel her whole bathroom to create a shower space. So they, we have a lot of success story with rebuilding together. Another program uh, is Project Lifesaver. That's a very um, important program. It's designed to protect and locate persons that are missing due to wandering. Um, and there's a lifeline, 24-hour access to community medical and social services at the press of a button. And this program is managed through Virginia Hospital Center. And their contact information is 703-558-7700. Um, and again, once you call our main number as well, we can connect you to all of these resources and we can inform you about how you can contact them. Very helpful. These are wonderful tips uh, for our listeners. Uh, a few more things that uh, or programs that I noticed on the website, and you can talk about them briefly, would be legal services. Uh, tell us about that. We refer our clients with legal needs to our local legal services of Northern Virginia. They serve clients who, without legal help, would lose very critical needs such as food, shelter, income, medical care, or other safety measures. Um, they handle uh, civil cases for older law, um, like especially in this pandemic, they have been a great resource. We had clients um, who had a heart surgery and due to his complication, he could not remember to renew his lease. And since the building could rent his unit for more money, they asked him to leave. And it was a very bad situation. But this was one of the cases that LSMV was able to help this client in his home and to advocate for him with proper documentation. Um, another thing that Legal Services does, which is a very important service, is to have a plan for healthcare decision related to the end of life care and medical decision making. Um, I know some of us just say, there's always time for it, I'll do it later. But it is important to make these decisions while we are still able to make our own decisions. Um, 
an advocate um, with legal services can help with advanced directive. Now, advanced directive is a document that you will state your choices for healthcare or to name someone who make those choices for you if you become unable to make your decisions and make a decision for your own medical treatment. It enables you to say yes to treatments you want and no to treatments that you don't want. Um, the Virginia State Bar provides additional information and advanced directive forms um, that people can print and they can fill it out and make copies to provide a copy to your doctor, bring one to the hospital with you, give copies to your family and friends. In Virginia, you need two adults to witness uh, when you sign these forms. So five wishes is another um, version of an advanced directive that you can also consider. Um, there are many options available. Um, there is advanced directive, there is a durable do not resuscitate order and physician order for choice of treatment that you want and there is also another resource that helps with this issue. Um, it is through Coalition to Improve Advanced Care. This is a free service. They offer free one-on-one -on -one assistance with filling out advanced directive. They have trained professional volunteers that uh, who can help you through this journey. Um, they're also a great resource. This is just such good information. And one other program, um, we've got a little time yet here, but also talk about the nutrition programs. I know nutrition was really important, especially during COVID when people couldn't get out to go grocery shopping or were concerned about that. But help us understand what nutrition programs are available for older adults and what what's the best way to find out about the programs and, and apply to be a participant? Uh, one of our great resources here in Arlington County is our Meals on Wheels program. Uh, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Meals on Wheels, delivering to our communities of homebound individuals this year. Um, this is a group of dedicated volunteers who've been lifesavers during the pandemic in making sure that our homebound Arlingtonians did not go without food. They served the community with love, with compassion, and every time I get a chance to go there during one of their deliveries, I'm always in awe about the level of engagement in this volunteer-run and volunteer-organized organization. Um, our Agency on Aging is hands-on with this local Meals on Wheels program. Uh, we oversee and evaluate this program and monitor the outcome for our residents. Um, we ensure compliance with all federal and state requirements and policies. We conduct an annual satisfaction survey for the quality of food through our offices in Agency on Aging. Um, we also have a nutritionist uh, who reviews the Meals on Wheels seasonal menu 
uh, with the catering company that we use for the service. Um, and you don't have to be a participant in Meals on Wheels to be able to be connected to our nutritionist. If you have problems, if you want to learn more about nutrition, our nutritionist uh, can help you do that. Um, Meals on Wheels, you can either contact them directly, uh, 703-522-0811. You can also email them at info at mealsonwheelsarlington.com or you can again you can call our main number so that we can connect you to them another great resource in arlington um, is food assistance service um, that we call it afac for short um, this program offers free supplemental groceries for residents who might not have enough resources to purchase enough food for their and their families' weekly nutritional needs. Um, and you can apply for this program if you're 60 and over. Um, you can call our number 703-228-1700. For younger families or families who have a person with a disability, um, they can call our Department of Human Services, our DHS office, 703-228-1350. All right. Well, again, very helpful. Thank you on that. We're getting close to the end of the, the interview, but I just wanted to make sure that, that listeners also knew about Arlington County Transportation Services. And uh, in fact, I understand that there's a Transportation Services for Older Adults Guide. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that, Galera? Sure. Uh, yes, our um, AAA director, Helen King, created a very comprehensive transportation guide. And that is my go-to when questions like this come. So when someone asks us about transportation services, we either send them this guide or we help them get connected to one of these services. Um, we have many different services in Arlington. We have Arlington Transit System that has 16 routes within our county. Uh, the art buses, they have 50% off for um, clients who have their ID and they show that they're 65 uh, or over. Or they can purchase a smart trip for $2.00. Uh, from our commuter stores. We have five different commuter stores around our county. Um, we have um, a super senior taxi program. This uh, program offers taxi cab coupons. That is half price. In other words, you purchase a booklet for $20 worth of coupons, but you pay $10 for it. Meaning if you have to make a trip that costs you $10, you only pay $5 for, which has been a great resource. And people can have up to 20 booklets per year. Um, we have, uh, for some of our, for our STAR program, uh, 
our clients have to go through Metro Access to become eligible. And Metro Access is a great resource. They come pick you up for your interview, uh, for your eligibility interview. They come pick you up and they bring you back with no cost to you. And when you, once you're eligible with them, you can become eligible for our STAR program. Uh, for transportation, you can use them for transportation, for medical transportation, for going to friends or going to the mall. Um, and it's a great resource. Um, we also have transportation uh, that takes our seniors to our senior centers for minimum cost round trip. And we have great senior centers that I really um, would advocate for and would ask people to try to uh, use them as resource. They have wonderful programs, uh, so we don't have to stay alone as we age. We can still stay active while we're staying at home and aging at home. All right. Well, final question, Galera. Where can listeners learn more about county caregiver resources in case we missed anything today? What What's the best website or telephone number? What can you share with us? Well, our adult services program, or uh, especially if there are caregivers who are caring from long distance, is a great resource. Um, if staying at home is no longer uh, possible, um, you can call us and we can give you other resources for moving your loved ones and providing other resources for them. Um, we have a wonderful new uh, uh, website, which I encourage everyone to go to and to look at. It's our Arlington County uh, VA.us. And once you go there, you can find resources for caregivers. Um, and you can always, again, you can always call us 703 228-1700 and we'll be happy to help. Okay. Well, I want to thank Galera Baseri with Arlington Agency on Aging for joining me today. Excellent information and I'm certain that people will be following up. So thank you so much for that, Galera. And by the way, if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit the website, which is agingmattersonline.com. There you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs and the TV show episodes that we've produced, as well as access the Aging Matter podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Additionally, I want to thank InkMouthMedia.com, which Aging Matters is produced in association with, and you can learn about that company at InkMouthMedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.
Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.